Today, we uh, continue the series, Dudes. Last week, we had Dudes Wake Up. Today's message, we're entitled it, Dudes, Don't Be That Guy. You know what I mean by that? Don't be that guy that no one wants to be. Don't be that guy that is falling short. Don't be that guy that stands in the crowd and you're looking at it and say, man, I, I don't want to be that guy. All across our world are people who call themselves Christ followers who fall way short of what they should be in Christ. And so they, they fall short in the family. They, they fall short in the workplace. They fall short on the sports team. They're the guys that make you run extra killers in basketball because they don't work as hard. Don't be that guy. We're going to look at a story today of a man who was that guy. And he decided that he would be that guy. But by the end of his life and by the end of this journey, you're going to see him being transformed by someone pouring courage into him, much like you're going to do this week. And you're going to see this man's life radically change forever. There are a few things that inspire me, that really make me come to life. To watch a man choose to overcome, to pick up maybe from an, an adverse situation that looks like all hell just broke loose and for him to rise from the ashes with the power of Jesus Christ and to stand up and be the man he wants to be, that inspires me. I love men watching men finish. I love watching men just finish anything, not bail out because it's too hard, too difficult, or not rewarding enough. I love watching finishers. And we're going to see a finisher today. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. And so I'm going to call it out of us today as men that we finish what we've started. In 1992 in the Barcelona Olympics was a man that ran a race that he had spent the majority of his life preparing for. Most will never get to the Olympics. Most never even get the chance to have their name called at the Olympics. We have an Olympic athlete who found himself competing in a race, and he's about to run the race of his life when out of nowhere something happens to him. But watch what he does with this adverse situation. Watch this man.
Every part of that moves me. <laughs> the man not willing to give up. The man who has something that he wants so badly, trained for the better part of his entire life, is just taken from him. And in that moment, he has a choice to make. Will he finish? And then watching his father come out of the stands who felt everything his son was feeling, wanting to come alongside of him and, and pour some courage into him in the midst of one of the most difficult moments of his life. And then his father speaking into him, saying, it's okay, son, it's okay. You don't have to finish. And then the son saying, no, I must finish what I started. Every man felt what I'm feeling in this room. Yet all across our world are those moments, and even in your life, when you have an opportunity after great failure to say, I give up. You have a choice to make, to get back up, and to finish, and to finish well. What I love about my Savior is this. Even though your past could be just riddled with junk, and you might have failure after failure after failure, there's these moments that he gives us in the midst of failure, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of adversity, to get back up and finish the race. Man, what would happen in this room if men, if dudes decided to finish well? What would happen if your marriage is falling apart and you said, no, not on my watch. I'm going to finish well. What would happen if fathers began to lead and love and fall in love with Jesus for the first time ever? I'll tell you what happened. The world would be turned upside down with dudes who love Jesus. Listen to me, men. Too much is at stake today for us not to jump on with Christ leading us and mark our mark with Jesus leading us. Please, don't be that guy that refuses to finish, that refuses to be the man that Christ wants him to be. There's nothing more disappointing than to watch a man who once marched on the front lines for Jesus Christ curl up and lose the staples of courage Boldness, bravery, valor, honor, the stuff that godly men are supposed to be made. There's nothing worse than to hear a man be a wimpy man, making excuses. Be quite frank, I am fed up with them. I am fed up with them. Listen to me, man. Please don't be that man that your wife has to make excuses for. And all across the world are Christian men. Their wife says, oh, it's too hard for him. It's too difficult. Oh, you don't know about what he deals with at work and what he deals with in here. Oh, baloney, man up. Quit making your wives make excuses for you. I hear them and other men, and we just shake our heads and say, I don't want to be that man. What will it take for you to get healthy? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. 
What will it take? What will it take for you to wake up and not be that guy, but to be that man and that father who finishes what has been given to him? I love when, when, when there's these examples in Scripture that speak life into me, where I see men finishing what they've started, where they refuse to give up, where they're still fighting them even until the last breath they breathe. I love watching that happen. But there's nothing more disappointing than cowards, excuse makers, wimpy men. It makes me want to puke when I'm around them. Listen, guys, it's time you man up. No more excuses. No more. Let's be who Christ intended us to be, and let's take back the property that the enemy has stolen from us because we've been asleep on the watch. Please, don't be that guy. We must develop a mantra that says, not on my watch, men. Not on my watch. One of the first emails that I sent to a group of men that I'm running with, that I'm hanging with, four months ago, went like this. Subject line, I wrote to them. It said this, don't be that guy from Jim. These seven men that are around me, that are competing in this, this race that we run in next Saturday called the Tough Mudder. And one of the things I, I wanted to pull out of us is not to be that guy who doesn't work hard. And so we've been training for four months. And in this Tough Mudder race that's in Attica in the Badlands over around Valparaiso, we're going to run 12 miles and we're going to do 23 British Special Force obstacles from running through fire, from running through 10,000 volts of electricity, jumping off a 20-foot cliff and swimming through water, swimming and running through mud with barbed wire above us, doing monkey bars at a 612 pitch on a roof line, running uphill, carrying a tire, just crazy obstacles and running for 12 miles. And one of the things I said from the beginning, don't be that guy that doesn't train. It's a team event that we're saying, come on, come on, come on. And so our team has worked hard because we don't want to be that guy. And that's been our work. We walk through the hallways. All the pastors are running it. Jeff, who's on staff here at Valderrama. Scott, who's on staff here at Avi, is running it. Kurt Huntsberger is running with us. And we're running this race, and we're going to run it together. It's a team event. And little do we want to see happen is this, is that in the midst of this race, someone doesn't make it because they didn't work hard. And every man has worked hard, and it's a strong team. And we'll finish this race together. Listen. Are you that guy who has excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse? I can't get up early enough. I don't have enough time. I got this and I got that and I got this. Listen, quit making excuses and man up. Don't be that guy, number one, that turns his head to the way things are. Turn to Judges chapter 6 and I'm going to show you that guy. Turn to Judges chapter 6 and I'm going to show you that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that turns his head to the way things are. And while you're turning there, I want to show you what Jesus himself thinks about men who are that guy. I want you to listen to this. The last book in our Bible, Revelation, there's this account referring to the New Jerusalem. 
And in the midst of this, John is looking ahead, and he, he says this. By the way, if you were here last week and you're a man, you don't have your Bible, listen to me. Bring your own Bible. Quit making your wife carry a Bible for you. If you're going to lead, lead spiritually. Take that Bible home with you. Bring it back. Don't raise your hand if you're that man. It's pathetic. Revelation chapter 21. John says this. Just listen. Don't turn there. Stay in Judges. He said to me, John said, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give a drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. There's this picture in scripture. John is looking and and Jesus says this. He looks out and he says this. To him that overcomes, you will receive this. But to him that does this, this is what you receive. And so this list is rattled off. And I want to show you what's at the top of this list that often gets overlooked. Revelation 21 and verse 8 says this, but the cowardly, but the cowardly, but the cowards, but that guy, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. At the very top of the list of those who are left out are the cowards. Even Jesus himself detest those who are cowards, afraid to work a little harder, afraid to try something new, afraid because they've never been there before, afraid to move out or move up, afraid to pull out of a position that you're in because it's comfortable and secure, and then trust God. Even Jesus himself says, but the cowardly will be thrown into the lake of fire. God is longing for a man to step up. And, and, and that does not turn his head to the way things are. Look at Judges chapter 6. Follow along with me in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to ask men to stand. We're going to read it together, please. Would you stand, men, with your Bible and not your wife's Bible? Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, let's read verses 1 through 9. Please read it with me. Ready, read. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them to the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. Verse 10. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. You have a seat. At some point, we're going to see today in Gideon's life and in your life, at some point we have to say, enough of this nonsense. 
Men, we serve the living God. We serve the God as if we need to hear this, and some of us do. We serve the God. He lives in us if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're born again, redeemed, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so because he lives in you, that God created the world. He breathed it into existence. He took man from dirt and he breathed and man was created out of nothing. He took a rib of a man and he formed a woman. I mean, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that lives in us. And so when we throw these little petty prayer requests to God, we want to, God, can you help this, this toenail? It really hurts. Think about it. He made you. It's as if we're begging him. God can just snap his fingers if he so chooses to do things that we can't even comprehend nor understand. And the very God that did that has defeated the enemy. He faced death. He overcame death. He was resurrected. And the scripture says in Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the enemy of his weapon. And the only thing that Satan has left is a thumb and a finger to bully you around. He's got a squirt gun and you have an AK-47 and we let him whip it us with this. No more. No more, guys, please. No more. There is power and walking with Jesus Christ. But there's little power when you want to serve the little G gods. Your God is stronger and bigger and brighter and able to accomplish way more than what you could ever fathom. Now the very God that's done that tells us in his scripture in Joshua 1.9, be bold, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged because he is with us wherever we go. We should be the most confident powerful, healthy, victorious men to ever live. Now ask your wife if that's how she sees you. Yeah, he's the most confident, powerful. Ask your sister, brothers, and ask your sister, am I the most confident, powerful, mighty brother that you've ever seen? She'll tell you the truth. Just ask that question. We should be. But often we are not because we let the enemy bully us around with a finger and a thumb. So here you have a group of people who are doing the very same thing. In Israel, what would happen? People would sin, and they would start worshiping little G, little gods. God would turn his back on them, and they would run and hide. In this case, they're in the clefts, in the craves, hiding out, and their God is Yahweh. What? When our God looks down on that, there's got to be these points where he says, man, enough of this. I went through way too much for you to live at that stage of your life. The Midianites are controlling them. The Israelites are afraid of them, and so they hide. Afraid to fess up. Afraid, afraid to say, God, I, I, I think that you can help us overcome that. And then in this room are the same kind of men, potentially. And in the link and in our world that those are watching by the internet, the same kind of men. You're afraid to fess up and admit that you have fear that has pushed you down instead of letting that fear push you forward. So they're hiding. And you're the kind of man, potentially, like Gideon is here that looks like, what are you doing Hiding. Get up, your God is bigger, stronger, and better. And then this happens in verse 10. Look again. God himself says this to the Israelites and to Gideon. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. 
do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not what to me? I think God is still crying that out today. I really do. Last week he was saying, man, where are you in Genesis 3? And I'm saying even today he's still asking, where are you? And now he's asking, why did you not listen to me? Listen to what I say. It's valuable information. This is who you are. And so here you have it. Gideon and the group of Israelites, why aren't you listening to me? I told you who you were. I've given you a prescription. You're supposed to be bold and courageous. By the way, where are dudes that know who they are? Well, let me show you a few. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. I want to show you a few dudes. Just turn forward. You'll find it. You'll find Kings and Samuel, and then you'll find 1 Chronicles. Here are a couple dudes that knew who they were. They weren't afraid. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Please turn there. Thank you for turning. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10 says this. These were the chiefs of David's mighty men. They together with all the Israelites gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. This is the list of David's mighty men. We could say this is a list of Grace Community Church's mighty men. Joshua Beam. Sounds like a two by ten, doesn't it? A Hakamite was chief of the officers. He raised his spear against how many men? 300 men whom he killed in one encounter. Now listen, that's incredible. One on 300, he killed them all in one encounter. And it doesn't say he had an automatic rifle. Verse 12, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodo. He had to come up, overcome his name. One of the three mighty men. He was with David at Paz Damon when the Philistines gathered there for battle at a place where there was a field full of barley. The troops fled from the Philistines, but they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and struck down, and Lord brought about a great victory. Look at verse 20. Such were the exploits of three mighty men, Abishai, the brother of Joab was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed. And so he became as famous as the three. He was doubly honored above the three and became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Look at verse 22. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a violent fighter from Kebzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He struck down an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty men. Where are those kind of men in our world who aren't afraid, who get a task from God and they listen to him and they do it? Do you think these guys stopped and said, well, I'm not strong enough, I'm not big enough, and I'm not this and I'm not that? Do you think their wives came out in front and said, oh, I don't know if he can do it? 
No, they stepped up and they believed what God's, who God said they were, and they went out one on 300. The Israelites need a man like that to surface, but Gideon is hiding along with all the other Israelite men. Secondly, don't be that guy that lives way below his redemptive potential. God is longing for a man to lead his people out of this mess. I seriously wonder if God himself often looks down and just says, dudes, wake up. Dudes, start leading. Dudes, get up. And I wonder if there's moments where he himself just sighs and weeps when he sees potential in us and we refuse to walk in that potential and be the person he created us to be. Verse 11, situation's bad here for for Gideon. So in verse 11, it says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Bizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is what? Mighty what? Now, a couple things happen here that are pretty incredible. One is this. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is in a winepress where grapes are supposed to be. He's down there trying to make food and sustenance for his family. But he's hiding from all the Midianites are there. So he's defeated on some level. So there he is. He's a man of God, and he's hiding. He's afraid. And this angel of the Lord sits under an oak tree, looks at him, and says, Hey, you, you mighty warrior, God is with you. Now, in that moment of time, I, I, you often wonder, how would you respond to that? You know, I, I, I wonder it. He says, you the man, Gideon. I'm sure he didn't feel like the man. And even today, I want to speak that to men. No matter where you're at right now, you might be the very worst version of yourself. You are a mighty warrior. The potential in you is off the charts. But you got to believe it. You got to get out of the wine press. You got to get out of the craves. You got to get out of the clefts. You got to stand up and say, enough of this nonsense. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm a mighty warrior. Gideon has a chance to respond to this. This angel of the Lord speaks to his masculinity. He wants him to know who he is if he doesn't see it himself. By the way, dudes, if I'm hiding in a wine press and I'm threshing some wheat, and the angel of the Lord comes up to me, wouldn't you think, hey, this might be a good sign? Seriously, wouldn't you? The angel of the Lord. I mean, you're down there, and this angel of the Lord, and then this angel of the Lord begins to speak to me. Do you think there would be something, like a little light that would go off? But some men are so dead in this path of, de- of darkness and been defeated and let the enemy defeat them so long that the very words that I'm speaking to you today, it falls on deaf ears, and I got to believe that Gideon was there. I mean, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. You would think that he would jump out of that wine press and say, yeah, but we're going to find that he doesn't initially. You are a warrior of God. Let me speak a little bit about masculinity. I find it very interesting that here that this angel of the Lord wanted him to know that he was a man. Not only a man, but a mighty 
warrior man. Let me speak about masculinity and the role men play in this in giving other men masculinity. By the way, masculinity can only be bestowed on a man by another man. Now, listen to me, dads, please. Just If you don't get anything in this message, listen to this. Moms, listen to me. You can't bestow masculinity upon your boys. You can't do it. You can't make your son masculine. You can't pour words in him to make him masculine. It's impossible. That's how we're wired. The only way masculinity can be bestowed upon another man is by a man. So fathers, it is so critically important for you to pour that into your boys. And men, it's so important for you to pour it into other men. For instance, your mom looks at an outfit that his son or your, that you're wearing, men. She, you know, she might say, hey, your shoes and your socks and you know, your shirt, they kind of match. You think a man comes up and says, dude, your shoes and your socks and your belt, they all match, looking good. No, he doesn't. Now, do we want that? Sure. We want you to tell us how off color and how things don't match. But I don't feel like a man. It doesn't pump out my chest when you tell me my belt and my shoes and my shirt and my pants match. But if you get a man that walks up and says to another man after watching him compete, after watching him do something, says, dude, you rock. Watch what happens to a man. Men bestow masculinity upon other men. It just happens that way. Mom, you can't do it for your sons. Sisters can't do it for their brothers. Dads, this is so important. Let me give you a a, a direct example. Yesterday, opening day of buck season here in Indiana, shotgun season. I killed a monster buck. Isaiah was going to go hunting with me in the morning, but he had basketball practice, junior high basketball practice, so he wasn't able to. And so I'm in the woods in in, in this Monster buck. You can look on Facebook and take a look at it. Or my blog. I shot this buck, and I could not wait to tell my sons. I told my wife, and on the other end, I texted men. The first thing I did, first thing I did was send a picture. Of the 16 texts I sent, 15 of them were men. So I get a hold of my son. I call my wife, and I was excited about sharing it with her because she understands that I'm weird. And so she's excited about that. And so I got this monster buck. And so I, she's, I said, get Isaiah on the line because he wasn't home. I said, dude, I just killed a monster buck. And I heard him was like, dad, that rocks. Woo. And so I wanted him to come and help me pull this deer out of the woods, gut it out, put it in the Jeep on top of a blue tarp. Yes, I put it inside my Jeep Cherokee and I let the head hang out and there's blood everywhere and it's awesome. <laughs> so I got Isaiah and, and so... Ann brought him up the road with the blue tarp, and he's, come, he's running up across the field in his green camouflage boots, carrying this blue tarp. And I'm driving with the Jeep, trying to pick him up. And as soon as I get to him, he goes, Dad, that is awesome. <sighs> and so we walk to this deer, and there it is. I mean, we walk there, and he says, Dad, that thing rocks. You killed a monster. <gasps> I could have carried that 200-pound deer out on my shoulders. But men can bestow masculinity upon other men. Men, do it with other men. Do it with your boys. And if you are a father 
who hides. If you are the worst version of yourself, your boys will look at you and say, I don't want to be that guy. Listen to me, dads. Your sons will look at you for masculinity. And if you're not on the front lines leading the way, you're not emotionally healthy. You're not spiritually healthy. You're not physically healthy. They don't go to you for masculinity. Guys, it's our chance to bestow it upon one another. So here you have this angel of the Lord pouring masculinity into Gideon because that's what he needed. You are a mighty warrior. I see far too many adolescents and not men. Far too many men in this room are loaded with so much incredible talent and ability and have chosen to believe some lies about themselves. Take some inventory right now. Please hear me. It's like sometimes I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. Take some inventory right now and ask yourself this question. Are you satisfied with yourself right now? If the answer to that is no, do something about it. I can't do it for you, like I said last week, and you can't do it for me. But with God's help, you can do it together. Are you going to be a man, a dude that does exploits or excuses? Exploits or excuses. Are you the man that says, I can't, I don't have time, I don't feel good, I've tried it before. You might as well just be a eunuch and pee sitting down. That's what that means. Seriously, dudes, I wish I was talking to men right now. I would say some other things, but I won't. In all seriousness, guys, it's time that we man up and be men that God has called us to be. Don't be that guy that your wife has to make excuses for. You should be leading the way spiritually, right out in front, loving her in a tender way and in a moment's notice, caring for her. See, here's the problem in this room across America. Here's the problem. A lot of men would say that they would die for their God, that they would die for their wife, that they would die for their family. But how many men are willing to live for their God and live for their family and live for their wife? How many men? Oh, I'll die for you, and you just might do that. But how many men need to live for them? And there are so many men, potentially, who could be doing more living for their wives. Oh, I'm telling you, if you would just wake up and be that man, you will see incredible improvement in your life and in your marriage and in your community and in your world and in your workplace. You're either exploit or excuses. Don't be that guy, thirdly, that plays the victim. Oh, boy, sometimes I just like to slap guys that do that. Look at verse 13. So Gideon gets the word from the Lord, the angel of the Lord. He calls him a mighty warrior. What's the first word out of Gideon's mouth after an angel of the Lord came knocking at his door and sitting? Oh, he's in the pit. It's the angel of the Lord. His first word in verse 13 is what? But. Oh my goodness. I just, it's like, have you ever had someone, you, you try to encourage them and lift them up, pour courage, but they say, but. You don't know how bad it is for me, Pastor Jim. 
but you don't know how difficult my childhood was, Pastor Jim. But you don't know, Jim, how, how my wife is. But Jim, you don't know how hard the workplace is. But Jim, but Jim, but Jim, but Jim, but Jim, but Jim, but, but, but. I mean, seriously, look at this. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, I'm sure he said it in a whiny voice. I wish we could have it in the whiny voice. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But, (laughs) little tears. Now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. I want to grab him and say, listen, you're a mighty warrior. It's in you. The first thing he does after he takes off his SpongeBob SquarePants jammies, is say, but. Listen, man, you're that guy. There's not a man in this room that's a man of God that's on the front lines that loves your excuses. Guys, when you hear a man, all he does is whine and make excuses, and you've went to him 500 times, after a while, you just say, you just shake your head and say, there's that guy. Please quit being, playing the victim. No more excuses. Please, no more excuses. Quit talking about your glory years and go make some new ones. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Now listen, that's what God is saying today. It might feel, you might feel weak. You might feel feeble. You might feel like you have any energy to go on. And the Lord God still says this, Go in the strength you have and save Israel. Save your family. Save the workplace. Save your name and your family's name. Go in the strength you have. No matter how weak you feel, the mighty warrior is in you. Go in the strength and save Israel. And then God says this, and he's still saying this today. Am I not what you? Sending you. Stop and think about this. By the way, I got a report from a guy who put his Xbox up for sale this week. And I was like, dude, it rocks. After last week. He said, I had it. And he went out and bought like the, the newest game that was out there. And just, he was excited about it. And he even posted it on Facebook the week before that. And after hearing last week's message, he says, I'm not going to be a statistic any longer. That dude rocks. And there's more men like that in this room. Man up and save your family. Save your dignity for crying out loud. In fact, some of you would die, or your wives would die to see that happen. All across this room, we have men who just want to protect themselves and not walk against the grain and stand up for justice and stand up and do what's right. By the way, I'm not going to spend much time here, but the whole Penn State thing, it's just horrible when I hear about it. It's sad to me. It's just sad what's taking place. I feel horrible about those children. I feel horrible about how people are trying to cover up and protect. Where's the hero in the midst of that? That would just stand up and speak for truth and say, this is what we should be doing. Where's the hero in our world today? Do what is right, men. Be the spiritual leader in your home, in the world Quit dropping the ball. Way too many of you are settling. It's time for a new movement of God. Do the right thing. By the way, don't be the victim. If you need counseling, listen to me. Go get it. That's what men do. They walk through their pride and say, I have some issues from my past that I need to work through. There's nothing wrong with going to a counselor and getting help. 
Listen to me. That's the brave thing to do. It doesn't make you a wimp if you go for counseling. You're a wimp if you refuse to get help. It's okay to get help. But listen, don't spend your life, your entire life being, oh, I'm that guy and all this and all that. I want to show you a pledge that just stirs every part of my life. And I, and I wonder what might happen if men of God actually took this creed and this pledge. I wonder what would happen if you decided in this room, godly men, these aren't necessarily godly men they are taking this pledge. I wonder if men of God said, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to live. This is the man I want to be. You know what? If we took this pledge and we lived it out, you would see a drastic turnaround in our world. It's the Navy SEALs creed. Listen to this. In times of war or uncertainty, there's a special breed of warrior ready to answer our nation's call. A common man with an uncommon desire to succeed. Forged by adversity, he stands alongside America's finest special operation forces to serve his country, the American people, and protect their way of life. I am that man, and here it is. My trident is a symbol of honor and heritage bestowed upon me by the heroes that have gone before. It embodies the thrust of those I have sworn to protect. By wearing the trident, I accept the responsibility of my chosen profession and way of life. It is a privilege that I must earn every day. My loyalty to country and team is beyond reproach. I humbly serve as a guardian to my fellow Americans, always ready to defend those who are unable to defend themselves. I do not advertise the nature of my work, nor seek recognition for my actions. I voluntarily accept the inherent hazards of my profession, placing the welfare and security of others before my own. I serve with honor on and off the battlefield. The ability to control my emotions and my actions, regardless of circumstances, sets me apart from other men. Uncompromising integrity is my standard. My character and honor are steadfast. My word is my bond. We expect to lead and be led. In the absence of orders, I will take charge, lead my teammates, and accomplish the mission. I lead by example in all situations. I will never quit. I persevere and thrive on adversity. My nation expects me to be, to be physically harder and mentally stronger than my enemies. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. I will draw on all every remaining ounce of strength to protect my teammates and to accomplish our mission. I am never out of the fight. We demand discipline. We expect innovation. The lives of my teammates and the success of our mission depends on me. My technical skill, tactical proficiency, and attention to detail, my training is never complete. We train for war and fight to win. I stand ready to bring the full spectrum of combat power to bear in order to achieve my mission and the goals established by my country. The execution of my duties will be swift and violent when required, yet guided by the very principles I serve to defend. Brave men have fought and died, building the proud tradition and feared reputation that I am bound to uphold. In the worst of conditions, the legacy of my teammates steadies my resolve and silently guides my every deed. I will not fail. Imagine 
Imagine if we took that creed into our homes, into our workplaces, into our communities, and carried it with the name of Jesus Christ, there would be no stopping us dudes. Where are those kind of men? that wave their Bible high and are proud to call themselves Christ followers, that are constantly in training. And if they're not being led, they take the lead. Who carry that, that honor from the past and that tradition of legacy of other faithful men and stand in the trenches and fight and still have fight left in them. Where is that man? He's in this room. He's inside of you. You must let him stand up inside of you. Gideon is about to become that man. But look what he does first. Verse 15. God sends him out. Verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. No one went to college in my family. My dad never poured into me. I am the least in my family. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I got this addiction passed down from my family. I don't have a job good enough. I don't have this. No one in my family's ever led. Blah, 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 blah. I'm the weakest. I'm the victim. It's time to get rid of the victim mentality. Listen, all of us come from something. It's what we do with it and who we know we are that we become. Start breaking the generational garbage passed down to you. No one wants to be around that guy that's all he talks about. Like he can't achieve because of this. Listen, do whatever it takes to break the generational sins. Do whatever it takes to break the generational garbage Way too much is at stake. No one wants to be around boys like that that are constantly the victim. They want to beat them up and take their lunch money. They just do. Where is the man that says, I will not live the victim's part, that says, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed, that refuses to become another stat, that will not that will leave, where's the man that will leave this room in the condition he's, the weak condition that you feel and say, enough of this. Starting tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m., everything changes. Health, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Listen, men, it's time you do it. The mighty warrior is inside of you. Gideon wasn't ready. Look at verse 16. The Lord answered him, God is so patient with us. I will be with you, little boy, and you will strike down all the Midians together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. I want to say for crying out loud, there's an angel of the Lord talking to you. How much more sign do you need? There, there's your sign. It's like, come on. I mean, when you talk to guys sometimes, you say, well, I just, if I only knew that God really wanted me to do this, listen, go read your Bible. Oh, man, this guy, just, I just want to beat him up, take his lunch money. You really do, but God doesn't. And praise God that he doesn't. 
Then it says it's getting replied, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. It's like, dude, you're the only one in the wine press. No one else is there. Seriously, like, who are you talking to? You, mighty warrior. It's like, me, me? Now, even today, like I'm telling you guys, you're mighty warrior. It's like, you must be talking about the guy behind me. Listen, guys, if you don't feel that way, listen, it's because you've let the enemy feed you lies. Inside of you is the living God who conquered death and kicked Satan's butt, and you are powerful. That's who you are. And your wife is waiting for that you to surface. Read on. Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. And from ephah, a flower, he made bread. It is interesting to me. I could have some fun. I'll take it out of context. He went in and he cooked, crying out loud. But putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and unleavened bread, place it then on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the stab that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock. That is just incredible. There's another sign. Consuming the meat and the bread. If that isn't a good enough sign, what else do you need? Well, I need another Red Sea crossing. I need to know, God, that let's, let's take two pieces of meat. Can you, like, make two disappear? It's like, how many more signs? By the way, men, how many more talks do you need on Sunday morning to know that you're a man of God? How many more conversations do we need to have that you need to step up? How many more? Seriously, how many more? Do you need like 10 more? I'll, give, I'll keep giving them until I die. Because I know it's in you. I know that God is in you, and I know there's great potential, and I've watched other men step up and rise, and that's what, that's what juices me up when I see men step up and lead, and God is in you, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do. That's why I keep telling you, he's in you, he's in you, he's in you. And it's the same stuff I pour into my boys. Guess what? God lives in you. Guess what? You are a man. You rock. We can take on the world with Jesus. Listen, men, you're that same kind of man. You will strike down everyone. One of the saddest things I've ever witnessed, seriously, and I said it earlier, is when a wife has to make excuses for her husband. Oh, he's having a hard week. He's been through a lot. He's sick. He's got a sore throat. Oh, get up and go to work. I know I sound harsh, but it's the truth. Someone needs to speak to somebody like that. Live your life in such a way that your wife is proud to talk about you in public. I'm telling you guys, when your wife speaks about you proudly in public and you get word of it, <laughs> my wife said something about me this week and I, I didn't know she was going to do it and she's going through this thankful thing and kind of just each day she's writing something and so she wrote something on Facebook. I don't remember what day it was, but I remember what she said. And I just happened to go on Facebook and look at it and she says, my husband is a modern day hero. I was sitting in my office. I started to well up with tears. When she thinks that about me, she doesn't really know me. I just. <laughs> but listen, make your wives speak good about you in public. Live in such a way that that's what she has to say instead of having to make excuses to all her girlfriends about you. Gideon decides to man up. Look what happens in chapter 7. Now listen, this is the same man. This, he still has the same God, the same enemy, same condition, but he decides to do something with his situation. Look at chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, all his men camped at the spring of Herod. 
the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver. It's like, boy, thanks a lot, God. And then he says, in order that Israel may not boast against me in her own strength, has saved her. Now, now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Now seriously, 32,000 boys were there. 10,000 men left, 22,000 boys were scared. They were shaken, it says. They're too big. Look at them. And so they're down to 10,000. Now that's, that's a big army. Then it says this in verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So there it is. It's like, nope, yep, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. And so they're sifting back and forth. They're trying to come down uh, uh, to a number. And then verse 5 says, so Gideon took the men down to the water. Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. So the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and the Midianites into your hands. Now listen to me. This is the same guy that was in a pit just a few days earlier who had the butt syndrome and was playing the victim mentality. I'm the weakest. We're the weakest. And his wife was there. I know it's so hard for him, angel of the Lord. Can you still, you really want to use him? And now he's standing with 300 men ready to attack 100,000 men. How did he go from that to this? Because he began to talk to himself instead of listen to himself. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm a mighty warrior. Read on. And so while all this is going on, look at the battle plan that comes up. Then it says this. Verse 9, during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down into the camp. This is the battle strategy because I am going to give it into your what? He reminds him. He says, you're going to win. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, pure. So he goes down to the camp. The enemy is huge, it says in verse 12. The Amalekites and Midianites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley. Thick as locusts. In other words, it was just thousands and thousands of them. Look at verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Then in verse 17, now think about it. This, this is his battle plan. This is the guy that was afraid. This is the guy that was hiding. He, literally, this is his battle plan. Take a Kerr mason jar or a ball mason jar, cannon jar. Take it and then go get a trumpet. Go to the seventh grade junior high in Jerusalem. Go to the music department and get some trumpets. So they run 300 guys down to get 300 trumpets. There they stand. And he says, by the way, you might need some chapstick because we're really going to blow on those trumpets. So he throws out some chapstick to him. He said, now practice with me. One, two, three. Let's work on that trumpet. These guys hadn't played trumpets. All right, everybody practice. One, two, three. Hold up your jar. This was their battle plan. Think about it. Carmax, Blistex, some trumpets and some jars. These were the same men that were afraid. Just to listen, same God, same enemy, same men. What's the difference? They knew who they were in that moment. Same man sits here, same adversity, same God. Which man are you? And so look what happens next. Picture this. They got glasses with fire in them. That's cool. They got some Blistex. 
They got some trumpets. He went to Jerusalem junior high. Verse 18. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and your Gideon and for Gideon. Then it says in verse 19, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge. And then another hundred men beginning in the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding the, in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. They didn't even have a gun. They didn't have a sword. And they won. Why did they win? Because God promised them victory and they believed it. How did they go from just two days before that, lying in a pit. Oh, I'm from the weakest clan. I'm the weakest. They decided today's the day I do something different about my condition. God gives them great victory. In fact, they turn on each other and start killing each other. 300 men without a modern day weapon just a few days earlier when they were crocheting potholders are now defeating hundreds of thousands of men. Okay, man, we've seen enough Red Sea crossings. We either believe that God is who the Bible says he is. We either man up or live the rest of our lives as that guy. We need some men to step up. Like I said last week, it's not going to be easy because you're opposed. You're in a war. How many of you did any kind of exercise this week more than you did the week before? How many of you spent more time reading God's word? How many of you emotionally got help when you know you needed help? Or how many of you just turned back to the same old man and here you come in today and you're feeling the same way you felt last Sunday? Listen, man up, guys. It's everyone wins. I will not be that guy. And when I fall down, there still will be fight in me. And when I breathe my last breath, there still will be fight in me and there should be fight in you. God, help us today. I pray, God, as we leave this place right now, I pray, Lord, that men would step up. I pray, Jesus, that something would click. They would would refuse to let their wives continue to make excuses. They would get the necessary help that they need, and they would develop a battle plan that would make them into not only knowing they're mighty warriors, but becoming mighty warriors. Jesus, the world has yet to see a church full of men like that. But God, they're right here. May it happen in our midst. Please, God, may we man up and not be that guy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Wait a minute, seems like they all lost. None of them are on the scene, seems like they died off. They extinct, but my dream is to rise up. We chasing the prize of the king, the divine boss. But we fell away, now we ungodly. We lose and we really got the blues like Nobby. I wanna celebrate the dudes that's beside me. Fellas, let's elevate, we grew with the lobby. Listen, men in this room were called to, to lead and to step up in our households, in our schools, dorms, whatever. It's time to, to be a man and not a little boy. So, man up. Man up. Let the process begin. Separate the boys from the men. Man up. It don't matter how you started. Partners about how you need Man up. Jesus is the model. Follow us, we gonna follow him. Man up. He's the last of the dying breed. So it's time that we man up. Being a man got nothing to do with age. You could be a boy to the day you lay in your grave. None of us behave in the image that we were made cause we're falling away. Don't make excuses for anything because you have no excuse. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, so therefore you are called to man up. Let the process begin. Separate the boys from the men. It don't matter how you started. Part is about how you end. Jesus is the model. Follow us, we gon' follow him. We the last of the dying breed. It's time that we man up. Let the process begin, separate the boys to the men. It don't matter how you started, partners about how you win. Jesus is the model, follow us, we gon' follow him. We the, we the last of the dying breed, it's time that we man up. Man up, y'all.